The world is not going to change. The world order, it's not going to change. It has already changed. A series of events have already begun, have already been put in place that will lead to the upheaval and the changing of the global world order. Now, as the West is pushing for environmental justice and squabbles over the alphabet agenda and attacking the morals and culture that is the very foundation of healthy and strong societies and economies. Well, it seems that the West is completely asleep. There's a a, a complete change of the global world order, but the West is completely lost in ridiculous culture wars, ridiculous culture squabbles, and they do not recognize what has already come upon them, what has already entered their house. Now, the question for you and I, however, is how will we respond and who will we befriend? Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future episode 273. It is March 10th, 2022, and the the war between Russia and Ukraine has slowed a little bit, but it is for sure continuing to escalate, is continuing to escalate. I, I personally, now I, I'm not the world's most leading Russian NATO geopolitical expert, never pretended to be so, but I personally have a hard time seeing how Putin and the bearer of Russia, who is seemingly being backed further and further into a corner, finding less and less friends across the world, having an economy that is being crushed currently, turning more and more to Russia. I have a hard time seeing how Putin is going to accept this failure, this loss. Now, there are signs that Zelensky is going to be coming to the table and being willing to uh, not join NATO. He said this week that he doesn't want to join NATO begging on his knees to join. And he he may actually uh, let Russia annex some of these areas of the Ukraine in order to buy peace. But how long will that last? Not sure. NATO is continuing to intervene on Ukraine's behalf. Poland is sending MiGs to Ukraine for them to use. And the U.S. is saying that they're going to backfill. A lot of people believe that this is signaling that NATO is entering this war with Russia. There's actually a a battalion of Canadian soldiers. There's so many Canadians fighting for Ukraine that there's a whole battalion of Canadian soldiers fighting in Ukraine. And rightly so, the the devastation of 1.5 million, almost 2 million refugees have fled Ukraine up to this point into surrounding nations, mostly Poland. But it is hard to see how this is going to de-escalate, and it's very easy to see how this, and many experts believe that this is the trigger point, the trigger event that is going to unfold into the Third World War, just like there were trigger events that unfolded into the First and Second World War, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, 
led to mobilization of troops and this unstoppable, like pulling the pin out of a grenade, an unstoppable progression. Same thing happened in World War II. Hitler kept on invading more and more land. And finally, UK declared war on Hitler and he was shocked, but it led to the the unraveling of Europe into World War II. Many people believe that this is that, that this is the 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 grain of rice that tipped the scales as we head into this new world war. And with big wars, there comes big global restructuring of the world order. We we already talked about this. It's like I'm a broken record on this show. What happened in Afghanistan, it, it wasn't the catalyst, but it was a sign. It was a, a litmus test that there is a new world order that is being established currently. And it's not necessarily coming from global elites. Oftentimes, it's also gr- grassroots up. Sure, global elites can be uh, affecting the way that culture is being shaped by the things that they fund and the, the, the movements that they push forward. But I think they're, they're, these are greater macro shifts that are integrated into many parts of society, not just some people in an in, in ivory tower somewhere pulling strings, though that, of course, plays a role. This week on uh, Instagram, I posted a poll on whether people thought that this was true or false. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Is that true or is that a fallacy? And the split was about 45% saying that's true and 56% saying, or 55% saying that that is false. And I fall on the false end. Now, of course, there are times where that is true, where the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And if we are being attacked, we can stand together, even though we might not have a bilateral agreement, and we can face our enemy together. But right now, I'm seeing this logic being applied to this conflict, conflict specifically, specifically from American pundits in the West that don't like the media. I don't like the media. I don't like the censorship that goes on. I don't like MSN. I don't like MSM, BC. I don't like the big tech censorship. In fact, I, I'm kind of shocked. Right now, I'm on, on Telegram. I use my American phone number on Telegram. And the Russian Times, Russian News, RT, is blocked on Telegram. Telegram, which is often considered a, a, a censorship-free platform where you can get information and news. Now, I do not believe everything that comes through RT. Most of it sounds and looks like propaganda. But in order to do this show, I want to be able to read what is being said by the opposing party. Now, of course, naturally, not everyone is going to be so discerning in their eye. Not everyone is going to take everything that comes out on the news media with a grain of salt, and they just believe it as propaganda, and they push it forward. But the same thing is happening in in Russia. In Russia, it has been cut off from Facebook has been cut off from CNN, has been cut off from the news, American news sources. Censorship is happening there. And now many people have pointed to that. Look at the censorship that's happening in, in Russia. See, they're just a bunch of dictators. They're a bunch of tyrants. At the same time, look at the, the, 
the censorship that's happening in the West via big tech and the further closing off of information. I, I do not, and this is where it comes in. People then see, and they look and like, wait, MSNBC is supporting uh, Ukraine and Zelensky. Uh, the Biden administration, who got paid off by Ukraine, is supporting Zelensky. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support Putin because he's emptying the swamp in Ukraine. And he's doing what we wanted Trump to do in America. That, to me, is so absurd. The enemy of your enemy is not your friend in this situation. Putin is not your friend. Uh, many other people who uh, tend to have a, uh, the people that I've read, how about I put it this way, the people that I've seen on social media who I know tend to have a slant towards anti-Semitism have also sided with Putin saying, ah, and this has been on the, uh, on Telegram and many other places, People are saying, ah, look, Putin's going in and he's denazifying the Ukraine and he's kicking out the Jews that are running the Ukraine. And this is a great thing because he's ridding the Jews from the Ukraine. Putin is not your friend. Look, look at what Putin did in, in the war in Syria, bombing hundreds, bombing food lines. These are well-documented things that happened. So just because you might not like what big tech censorship is doing, I don't like it. I don't like what big tech censorship is doing even in this conflict because I want to be able to get the information that's coming from the other side. I want to have a full picture. But that doesn't mean I'm going to side with what is happening in, in Ukraine against civilians thanks to Putin. Absolutely not. He is a madman who's off his rocker, and we are being, the globe is being led into World War III. I, I do believe, I do believe that. I could be very wrong. I hope I'm wrong, because it means there's a lot of chaos and pain and hurt and hardship and disappointment that will come into the world. But how will we respond to that? Well, before we get into our response of, of some wisdom of how to walk out potentially this next season of our life, which we'll be covering in the Weaver and Loom section. I want to touch on how world orders come to power, what world orders are, and how world orders get changed and fall. How do superpowers become superpowers? Well, I was sent this clip, this video. It's about a 30-minute video by Ray Dalio. Uh, from his book, Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. And this is a 30, 40 minute video, highly recommended. The link is in the show notes, of course, highly recommended. But we're going to hit the, the top level thought to help us see how nations and empires rise to the top of the world order and how they fall. What is the progression, which that helps us see why and what place we are in history right now when it comes to the current world order, when it comes to the current state of America's power in the world, the dollar's power in the world, and what might happen as that shrinks, as that, it's not going to shrink slowly over time. And right now, it, it, it still has its dominance in the global markets. But when the dollar is no longer 
the one world, the, the reserve currency of the globe, it won't just shrink, it will crash. America will go on just like UK has gone on, just like France and the Netherlands have gone on, just like the Ottoman Empire and in different varying degrees have gone on. Civilizations continue even past their decadence and demise. So it's not that America is going to cease to exist, but it's definitely going to restructure the, the, the current power and trade and economic stability in the world until a new world power fully emerges and brings a level of stabilization. But will that be a stabilization that you and I like or want to actually be a part of? Well, here's Ray Dalio on uh, a couple clips from his new book. And this is like a really cool infographic a video that he's put together to really help explain how these shifts happen. So first, we're going to dive into, he's going to dive into the eight principles and metrics that we look at that determine the strength of a empire. And it looks at how these empires then come up from the ashes, come up from nothing into something great and back into the ashes. Here is Ray. In this study, I used eight metrics. Each country's measure of total power is derived by averaging them together. They are education, inventiveness and technology development, competitiveness in global markets, economic output, share of world trade, military strength, the power of their financial center for capital markets, and the strength of their currency as a reserve currency. So we see here that there are eight different areas of society that one builds on another. First, it starts with education. As a nation grows more educated, they then are able to develop new tech and become innovative. As they grow in their innovation, they then become competitive in global markets. People want to buy from them because they have new innovative technology. That then increases their economic output. They're still at the bottom, so you're able to have cheap labor prices. You're not the, the most expensive option on the market, but you're providing a better product for less money. And so the world starts to trade more and more with that nation. With, as the trade expands, the military is able to have more finances to protect their trade routes. This is why, I'll finish this and then I'll say this, this is why. From the military strength, mostly guarding trade routes and stability of their economic uh, financial, financial uh, state in the world, to protect their trade routes because that fuels the economy, exports, they then grow into a, a financial center of the world. As they grow that up, people want to buy the currency of that nation, whether it was the pound or whether it was the dollar or whether it will be the digital yen in the future, we'll see. They want to buy because they know this is a stable currency and if I have this currency, I can trade in this currency, and it gives me a level of stability, not only in my nation, but in my personal life. Well, that's how it all rises. Now, this is one reason we have been talking about the new Silk Road coming out of China. This is why we've been talking about the Quad versus China. This is why we talked about 
what was happening in Myanmar with the revolution that took place in 2021 because of critical trade routes. This is everything that we're seeing right now in Russia is why we talked about how pipelines are going to play a massive role into the future, that we are not done with oil or fossil fuels, but it is the driving factor of energy consumption, which maintains and strengthens nations. We talked about these fuel lines, uh, pipelines, uh, the Nord 1 and 2. We talked about the Keystone Pipeline. We talked about pipelines that are being run across Saudi Arabia. These are all, these are all critical infrastructures that build and enable world powers. Well, so Ray Dalio goes on to explain how these powers rise, how these powers fall. And I think as we, as you listen to this, it will be very apparent. It will be very clear where we are right now in this cycle, which if we can figure out where we are, we can figure out, we can understand and discern the hour that we're in, and that will help us discern how to behave, how to act, how to react. Because if you are in a, if you are in a bull market where everything is going up, 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 you don't want to be just stacking your cash. You want to be buying in the market. But if you can see that there's about to be a crash, what are you going to do with your finances differently? Same thing. If you if you are planting your seeds in the middle of winter, well, that's a bad idea. You need to know what season you're in to know what activity to do. If it's in the middle of harvest and you're just laying back, counting how much wheat you have and being super stoked that you're now so rich, but you're not out in the field harvesting during harvest time, you're going to lose your harvest. We need to know the times and the seasons that we live in. Maybe we can't change macro global economics, but we can take action for our family. Here's Ray Dalio. By examining the sequences from many countries, we can see how a typical cycle transpires. And because the wiggles can be confusing, we can simplify it a bit to focus on the pattern of cause-effect relationships that drive the rise and decline of a typical empire. So if you're listening on a a podcast 2.0 certified app, you can look down at your phone right now and you can see the, the, the different stages of an empire. And when he was talking about these squiggly lines, he's talking about how it's not just a, a clear one-to-one ratio. It's these things, these different metrics of education, trade, innovation, military are going up and down at different points in an empire's history. But we can simplify it to able to see and have a framework to know where we are in in a timeline of an empire's history. Relationships that drive the rise and decline of a typical empire. As you can see, better education typically leads to increased innovation and technology development, and with a lag, the establishment of the currency as a reserve currency. You can also see that these forces then declined in a similar order, reinforcing each other's decline. Let's now look at the... So, so as we said before, and as we explained, one 
point leads to the other. Education leads to innovation, leads to competitiveness, leads to economic output, which finally leads to, but lags, to being the global reserve currency. Well, but then as all these other metrics rise, education begins to fall, innovation begins to fall, competitive output begins to fall. World trade begins to fall. And that then leads to a decline. And Ray explains exactly what's happening in that decline. Typical sequence of events going on inside a country that produces these rises and declines. In a nutshell, the big cycle typically begins after a major conflict, often a war, establishes the new leading power and the new world order. Because no one wants to challenge this power, a period of peace and prosperity typically follows. As people get used to this peace and prosperity, they increasingly bet on it continuing. They borrow money to do that, which eventually leads to a financial bubble. The empire's share of trade grows, and when most transactions are conducted in its currency, it becomes a reserve currency, which leads to even more borrowing. At the same time, this increased prosperity distributes wealth unevenly, so the wealth gap typically grows between the rich haves and the poor have-nots. Eventually, the financial bubble bursts, which leads to the printing of money, an increased internal conflict between the rich and the poor, which leads to some form of revolution to redistribute wealth. This can happen peacefully, or as a civil war. While the empire struggles with this internal conflict, its power diminishes relative to external rival powers on the rise. When a new rising power gets strong enough to compete with the dominant power that is having domestic breakdowns, external conflicts, most typically wars, take place. Out of these internal and external wars come new winners and losers. Then the winners get together to create the new world order. And the cycle begins again. So we can, we can really easily look at what has been happening in America, in the West, to see where we are in this cycle with the current world order. We can see that America's debt is well over 20, 23, 24 trillion dollars. America keeps on printing more and more money to satisfy their debts, gone off the gold standard long ago. We saw in 2020 massive riots and unrest across America as, as people wanted to redistribute wealth, as their chaos within the the global power and that continues today where where people are fighting in fighting in a nation over the distribution of wealth over global warming over uh, environmental justice as <laughs> as they are saying environmental justice that printing of money is a sign of what's coming. It's a sign of the eventual collapse. Now, this can be pushed off and kicked down the road for a number of years, decades, but we already see 
with the, the uprising of other global powers challenging the strength of America on a global scale, especially with this current conflict with Russia, in light of what has recently happened across the globe with deteriorating relationships in the Middle East, it is clear that we will be seeing a new world order in our lifetime. Maybe it will be in a number of short years. Maybe it will be in a number of long years. I don't know. And this is, this is troubling because it means that for all of us, it is going to be a time of unrest. And this is not just something that, as I said in the the intro, that's coming from global powers that be or the new world order, a secret society somewhere, but this is the decadence of a society. And the, the moral degradation of its character that then leads to cultural values that undermine the economic strength, the character of a nation, which those things, when that fabric of society is completely undermined, there is no other option but for the fabric of society, the fabric of that power to fall apart and a new power to rise. This is the the course of history for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years and will continue to be the course of history. But we are living in the middle of that course of history and we need to know how to defend against it, what to do to protect ourselves. So first, a couple quick points before we move on to, uh, yeah, that makes sense. What can you and I do? Well, first, cash is trash. The U.S. dollar is going to continue to inflate. So if you're saving money for that rainy day and you're saving it in the bank in U.S. dollars, that money is becoming worth less and less and less with every passing day and week. Cash is trash. Do not hoard cash. Don't go out and buy a new flat screen TV and a, a brand new you know, iPhone and stuff that you don't need. That's not the answer. That's not, oh, cash is trash. I'm just going to spend it on random stuff. No, invest it. Invest the cash that you have in assets that will bring you back an investment, that will bring you back a return on your investment. Whether it's investing in, in real estate or whether it's investing in your education so that you be, can become someone who has a higher economic output. But do not just hold on to cash because it is devaluing, devaluing day in and day out. Instead, take that and invest it and begin to invest, whether it's in your yourself, whether it's in your education, not necessarily meaning go to university unless you're becoming a doctor or engineer, but invest in ways that you can become more competitive. Invest in your small business so that it can become stronger and healthier. Another way. Earn more than you spend or produce more than you consume. Again, this is not just the hoarding of finances, but it's realizing that there is going to, with the, the, the crushing of the dollar, there's going to be a lot of unrest. And you want to already have those disciplines in place to operate in reserves, to operate in conservatism so that you can build something for many others. The third point, is build character in a culture of servitude. 
It's through building our character and a culture of servitude that we can help others. Because there is a turmoil and a shaking that is coming, and it's going to cause many people to be in pain, many people to wake up, and they're going to be looking for someone who has a vision, strength, and resources, and love and kindness to help their community. Now, being, being a weak person and a broke person is not going to do anybody any good. Do not decide, well, it's all going to the pot, so I'm just going to kick back and be a weak person and you know, hopefully live off the government and just scrounge around and you know, the dollar is devaluing anyway, so I might as well just be broke. No, there's no brownie points for poverty. Instead, become a strong and a generous person. Not, you can't be strong, wealthy, and stingy. That doesn't help anyone either. But if you are a strong and a generous person who gives more than you take, you will become a pillar in your society and people are going to need that in the days to come. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Oil prices, what everyone's talking about due to this conflict between and war between Russia and Ukraine. I know we did not dive into exactly what's happening into the Ukraine and Russia right now. It's all over the place. But I want to focus on this oil point as oil was up to $130 a barrel just yesterday. It's at $110 a barrel when I checked it this morning. And who's responsible for that? Well, here's Jen Saki in a press conference, March 9th, I believe, uh, saying who's responsible. It's definitely not President Joe Biden. It is Putin, according to Saki. Um, saying, I just never imagined to see the cost of will I be able to afford gas. President's message to Americans who are going to the gas station today. Sorry about that. Here we go. So here's Saki's here's Saki's response to a question from a reporter. The reporter was reading a comment from uh, someone saying how horrible the gas prices are, and it's deeply concerning. Here's Jen Saki's response. His message is that he is going to do everything we can everything he can to reduce the impact on the American people, including uh, the price of gas at the tank. What is also true is that because of the actions of President Putin, because he invaded a sovereign country, that created instability in the markets. That is something the president talked about even before uh, Russia and President Putin moved forward with their actions. Uh, but we have already taken steps. The president has already taken steps. Historic release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, one that's done in a coordinated fashion. And clearly, we will continue to have conversations with large oil producers and suppliers around the world about how to mitigate the impact and, and consider domestic options as well. So she says, and the Biden administration says, that, well, nah, this, all these high oil prices, really, this is just Putin's doing. Because Putin invaded, all of a sudden we saw a spike in oil prices. It has nothing to do with policies in America. Well, El Tamash, who has been here on the show before, uh, he tweeted out, just so you know, the markets and oil prices aren't taking or shooting up because of Russia. This was all going to happen anyways. And you look at the average US dollar gas prices and they are pretty low 
in 2020. And then 2021 comes around, a new president is seated, and the gas prices climb, 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 and begin to spike before Russia invades Ukraine. Here is uh, some more facts on the actions that Biden has taken. This is from unwoke narratives or unwoke media. They compiled a list from NPR and Axio uh, from sources on actions and gas prices that Biden has taken since he became president in January 2021, when the gas price was $2.33 a gallon. Through an executive order, Biden began halting oil and gas leasing on federal lands and water. Same, same time when he became president, Biden directed government agencies to limit, eliminate fossil fuel subsidies by 2022. Come May 2021, when gas is at 311 a gallon, Biden administration pressures big banks to divest from traditional energy investments, a.k.a. fossil fuels. In June 2021, Biden revoked the permit and canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. Gas prices are up to 315. August 2021, prices are at 325. Called on Russia and OPEC to increase their oil production to counter the rising gas prices instead of increasing domestic production. It's it's it, it makes no sense. He's calling for other nations to increase their oil exports, which would strengthen their nation so that we can import their oil, which was only going to weaken the U.S. economy. I mean, decisions like these are definitely leading to the restructuring of a new world order. August 2021, gas is at 325. Increased regulations and scrutiny to punish and sanction the fossil fuel industry. December 2021, 339, Bolton Biden halted federal aid for new fossil fuel projects abroad. February 22nd, 2022, just moments before the Russian invasion. So this is before the Russian invasion. When gas is at 390, Biden delayed issuing new oil and gas drilling permits on federal land. So he's doing everything to stop America from producing more oil, which leads to its economic strength and trade. And instead, we're giving the U.S. dollar to other nations and asking them to pump more oil. March 8th, 2022, Biden banned Russian oil imports. Other Europeans have not followed suit hurting America more than Russia. Russia is just going to turn around and send the oil to China. They'll find places to sell sell it, no doubt. Gas is now over $4 a gallon, $4.25. This has been a slow increase over a number of months. Why? Why? Why would the Biden administration be doing this? Well, the Biden administration has limited fossil fuel production and did little to lessen its dependency. With a lower supply and consistent demand, high prices aren't surprising. They're expected. And this is an open strategy to push the American public to switch for renewable energies. They're saying, hey, I know. I know how we can get people to buy a new electric car, besides the fact that they're awesome. 
we can make gas really high. And then when people complain about not being able to pay their gas bill, we can say, hey, go out and buy an electric car if that's too much. If you can't afford gas, buy an electric car. But if you can't afford gas, I don't think you're going to be able to afford an electric car. Well, in the, the, the turn of ironies, where does Biden turn to try to find an ally in his current oil crisis? Well, n- none other than Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. The Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and UAE Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahya both declined the U.S.'s request to speak with Mr. Biden in recent weeks. The U.S. official, the, the officials say that as Saudi and Emirati officials have become more vocal in recent days. Saudi and UAE are not happy with America's lack of support. And they both declined requests from Putin to say, hey, let's get on a call. We need to talk about Saudi and UAE increasing their oil supply. But the region here is becoming, the the relationships have becoming strained due to the war in Yemen and due to Americans' policies in the Gulf. Under Trump, it was very, very strong. But Biden has definitely taken steps away, even as the UAE was bombed by Houthi rebels. And we talked about that here on the show. The Saudis, this uh, Wall Street Journal report says the Saudis have signaled that the relationship with Washington has deteriorated under Biden administration. They want more support for their innovation in Yemen's civil war, help with their own civilian nuclear program as Iran moves ahead, and legal immunity for Mohammed bin Salman, who faces lawsuits over the Hashugi. killing in 2018. Emirati share the same concern about restrained U.S. response to recent missile strikes by Iran-backed Houthi militants from Yemen or in Yemen against the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Both governments are concerned about the revival of the Iran nuclear deal, which doesn't address other security concerns of theirs and has entered into the final stages of negotiation in recent weeks. So here's America side again. This is what the Obama administration did. They're siding with Iran, who is not our allies, not Americans' allies, not the Khalij's allies. They want to develop, Iran wants to develop nuclear weapons to bomb people. In America, the Biden administration decides that, yeah, it's a good idea. We're going to play into that. We're going to give and cut a deal with Iran. UAE and Saudi, not happy. Moreover, they, the Saudis and Emiratis have declined to pump more oil, seeing that they're sticking with a production plan approved between their group and OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, and a group of other producers led by Russia. The energy alliance with Russia, one of the world's top oil producers, has enhanced OPEC's power while also bringing Saudi and Emiratis closer to Moscow. So in order for them to, the UAE and Saudi, to to produce more oil, they'd have to break an agreement with OPEC and Russia. And frankly, because of the geopolitical situation and the deteriorating relationships with America, they're saying, hey, 
You're over a barrel, quite literally. You're stuck. You got yourselves into this problem. You created these dynamics in our relationship. Your power has waned. Your position has waned. We are not going to bow to you anymore. If you want to cut a deal with us, we can cut a deal, but you need to fix these areas. We're not just going to blatantly go along with what you're saying and what you're doing as you destroy your own economy. Bold move by UAE and by Saudi Arabia, one that I frankly agree with. I, <laughs> it's like my, the old adage, my problem is my, your emergency is not my problem or your problem is not my emergency, I guess is how it, how it actually goes. Interestingly enough, however, Mohammed bin Salman and Sheikh Mohammed bin Nahia did take calls and talk to President Vladimir Putin last week after declining to speak with President Biden. And they also both spoke with Ukraine's president. And the Saudi officials have said that uh, the U.S. has requested that Prince Mohammed bin Salman mediate the conflict which he said the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is embarking on. So here, Saudi Arabia is saying, you know what? We are going to work to mediate between Russia and the Ukraine. We're not going to play this American geopolitical nonsense, but we're going to try to find a middle ground. Why? Why would they do that? Because they see that the power of America on a global scale is shifting. They know that sooner or later, The U.S. dollar will no longer be the reserve currency of the world. There are new digital currencies from government organizations springing up. There will be a new one world currency, and they are being wise to figure out where are they going to land when everything comes down. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. This is a value for value podcast. We don't have big advertisers on the show. Rather, as you get value out of the show, you can give value back to the show and the value that you received. And you can do so by visiting lucasgrobot.com backslash support. And you can give your hard, cold fiat there. Or you can listen on a podcast 2.0 certified app like Breeze, Sphinx, Podfriend, and you can load up your Bitcoin wallet and you can stream Satoshis as you Listen, well, don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. Well, with these global shakings, with the global turmoil, Many of our hopes and dreams are going to be dashed. Many of our, the way that we thought that our lives, the world would go, it's probably not going to turn out the way that we thought. In the midst of that disappointment, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, how will we respond? What will be our response in the midst of all this? Well, there is a, uh, a verse from scripture, from the Bible, that get this, this one gets me every time. When I read this one, I think to myself, oh my goodness, 
I, I need to watch my heart. And it says, now the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is, faith is the things that you can see with the eyes of your heart, the things that you believe and know to be true, the promises that you believe are over your life. That is faith. So we, the just, the ones who live and walk rightly in the earth, don't live by what they see with their natural eye, but they live by the eyes of faith. They see something that is not as though it is, and they pull it into the future, and they manifest it through their work, through putting their hand to the plow. And it goes on and says, but if anyone draws back, or other versions say, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, or I have no delight in him. I will not be pleased with him. So those people who live and walk rightly and justly in the earth, they live by faith, not sight, not by what they feel, not by what they see around them, but they live by seeing a future and living for promises that they know they are meant to fulfill, but have not yet been fulfilled yet. There's probably delays in those promises. But if anyone shrinks back, if anyone checks out, if anyone says, "Ah, you know what? It just hurts too hard. You know what? The the situation is just too complex. You just don't understand. I'm just going to kind of check out. If you shrink back, God has no pleasure in you, no delight in you. And this is a startling statement. This statement is one that should cause us to really think about how we are engaging our hearts, our lives, and our thoughts in the coming weeks and months and years. Because we will all face trials and suffering in our life, just as I explained a few weeks ago, how we, we suffered a miscarriage that really just, you know, hit my wife's and I's heart in just a real complex way. And it can be really easy for me to either grow bitter or shrink back or say, yes, this is just too complex. Just kind of give up a little bit. Just kind of compromise on, on, on the, the dreams in my heart a little bit because it's just a little too painful to live. It feels like everything is dead right now. Everything's dead in the grave. And I could just, I could check out and, and no one would fault me for it. No one would be like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just hard. You know, it's sometimes these things just don't work out the way that you think. And I could allow my heart to grow callous. And to not feel that pain and feel that emotion and press on through it. Or, or instead of having my courage shrink up and shrivel up and shrink back into my cave and just choose comfort, I could be like a lion and I could press forward. I could demand in my life to fulfill the promises that I know and believe. And believe for them even when I don't see them. And that, to do that, it requires you and I, it requires us to allow our hearts feel pain. To allow our hearts be touched by suffering. To allow our hearts to feel the complexities that we face where we say, I 
have dreams to be this. I have promises to be this. I know this is what I am called to do. I know this is what I'm called to do. And yet, I thought it would be here by now. I thought I'd experience it by now. And we hold on to the tension in that place and we don't stop doing good. We don't stop fighting for what we believe. We don't shrink back. We don't let our our courage shrivel up like dried raisins. Instead, we move forward with boldness even when it looks crazy, even when it makes no sense, even when everyone says, bro, world order is changing. You know, just stack food in your fridge and dried, dried stored food and just, you know, play it safe and go off the grid and don't ever talk to people again. Or you can say, I'm going to stand up as a pillar, as a standard in society, and I'm going to, maybe I'm not going to change the macro global economics. Maybe I'm not going to touch millions of lives. Maybe I'm not going to slow down or speed up any new world order process, but I can help the people around me. And one of the ways that you can help the people around you is by sharing this podcast with them. You can text it to them. WhatsApp it to them or post it on social media. But the greatest way that you can love your friends around you is by sharing things that you get value from rather than just hoarding them to yourself. If you have a question, you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero and I will respond to you. Thank you so much for your time today as the world shifts and changes. Remember, the enemy of your enemy does not necessarily mean that's your friend. Be careful who you side and align with as the tides across the globe are changing and more so align and side with character and morals and values. So go out and own the future.